Welcome to ContenderCast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast. We are shining a light on bright ideas today. We are talking technology and finance. And you guys are going to love the conversation today with Bill Woods, who's CEO of Abiel Group. And we are going to dive into blockchain. We're going to talk about Bitcoin. We're going to talk about the entrepreneurial space that is finance and technology and how it's coming together. And Phil, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm super excited about today. Uh, thank you, Justin. Thank you for having me. Yes, for for sure. So, okay, let's start with this. So, Phil, your background, and I, I was doing my homework before the podcast, and love it. You're, you're in the banking space, right? First, you know, with UBS and Citibank, and then you decide to start this company called Abiel International. So, talk about how you decided to move from kind of big corporate banking into doing the entrepreneurial thing. Well, sure. Um, I spent... 15 years between UBS and Citigroup, primarily in the same business, what we call in the industry, the macro business. So the movement, the trade of interest rates, currencies, and derivatives on those two things, uh, two broad asset classes. And for three years before I decided to make the move to the startup space, I felt this urge, this, this calling that there was something that needed my attention from a business perspective. And I wanted to just recruit a like-minded group of people and work on developing those ideas. Um, I had a great and successful career throughout the financial crisis, lived all over the world, but I knew there was something else than just remaining with a financial institution, a large financial corporate institution for the rest of my career. And so I would say that it was more just a the urge or the calling to, to something better, something else. I love that. Well, and, and you talk about your company as kind of walking individuals and, and groups into kind of the future around fintech and um, doing that in a digital way. So talk about the premise for your company and how you've decided to, to focus in this space. Well, really, the basic premise of my company is to look at a large complex problem and call BS on it. Um, <laughs> that's the premise of my company. And this, this comes that. from actually my, my, my high school 12th grade English teacher. Whenever you wrote a persuasive essay, if you made an assertion, didn't back it up with evidence, she would write in big, bold, red letters on your, on your essay, uh, BS. I remember <laughs> literally writing literally. <laughs> and so as I was thinking about what's going on in, in the economy, what do most people not understand? What seems like a bottleneck? And there's this in my head, I can see BS <laughs> written over and over and over again. So that's the basic premise of my company. We look at problems like payments or the movement of money around the world. And we say, well, BS, like, for example, <clears throat> I travel throughout Asia extensively. If I want to move money from my Bank of America account, Citigroup account or Chase account, wherever, from the U.S. to Asia, most of the time that that could be anywhere from a one day to a three day process. And then there's several fees along the way. Absolutely. This is BS. So (laughs) how do I figure this out? I love it. So really disintermediating the whole financial transaction space is what you're focused on. We are focused on financial transactions, but we're also focused on empowerment. Um, Because there are a lot of people, there are a lot of people who, for example, they might, you might have a, an account, you might have, a depository account in any country in the world, but 
you don't necessarily know exactly what your financial institution is doing with your deposit. You just see a reflection on your monthly statement or whatever you sign into online banking. Absolutely. But it's giving people information about what you as a financial institution stand for, what you invest in. I think that takes the banking conversation beyond just these guys give me some form of interest that's based upon the yield curve of my country. No question. I totally agree. Well, and before we go too much further with your company, let's define a couple of, of terms here because I know, like, for example, blockchain, artificial intelligence are, are just hot buzzwords right now. You can't turn on the TV without not seeing some mention of either, right? So talk about sure. blockchain and how it, it works for you and your business. I like to basically, wherever I go, whenever I, I give a talk or even in a room with people who are much smarter than me, I like to just ask the question, do you know what blockchain is? <laughs> and inevitably, most people will remain quiet. Right. Um, and these are very people who are very well read. You've, they follow current events. The sure. so, um, and most people will, will just stop there because there doesn't seem to be like a consensus answer on what blockchain is. So on our website, we specifically define what blockchain. Is I and know, and are. by the way, I I loved that. I, I work in the space during the you know in my day job, and I went and I saw your site. That was such a great definition of it. It's great, great reference. Well, thank you, thank you. Uh, a lot of time, energy, and effort went to that. Well, what I like to tell people is to even uh, go a level uh, more basic than what's on our website, and just say if you think about it, blockchain is computer code that we've known and used since at least the 1940s, except it's encrypted. And it's encrypted in the way to create new blocks or new pieces of this code is through some type of shared decision-making process. And when I tell people that, there's literally an aha moment where they realize that blockchain isn't something revolutionary that came out of the future. We're really taking technology that has existed um, primarily in the Eastern Soviet bloc and in certain universities in the U.S. and in the U.K., and we're commercializing encrypted computer code. And within each code, within each block, rather, uh, each specific blockchain, there are different decision-making processes that we call in the industry a consensus mechanism. And so <clears throat> the consensus mechanism is what determines how another block, another piece of the chain is created. I like to tell people that blockchain is also a very low use, or should be a low use, or a limited use database because it doesn't store a lot of information, but it can store sensitive pieces of information in a highly secured way. And when we talk about that, we'll think about your social security number or your medical ID, um, even an access permission to a, another program or your bank account. So that's the way we I like to talk about it just in, and not necessarily sweeping broad strokes, but to give people some specificity without right. through the so much the detail technical terms. <laughs> right. Yeah. So how about pick a use case, you know, an individual, um, whether it's a transaction or other, where they would leverage the digital infrastructure of blockchain to to facilitate that. Or they may not even realize it's happening in the background, but give us an example of like a use case sure. of an so for an individual. One of, the, one of the popular uses of blockchain right now is in the international payment space. Absolutely. So typically what happens when you make any international payment, whether it's a credit card payment or even a cash transfer, that there are several banks. You, you Typically, you have a large money center bank and I'll use Citigroup. Citigroup moves on average between about five and a half trillion dollars per day 
and various accounts around the world. They're the largest money center bank in the world. That transaction, though, depending upon which country it originates in, let's say the United States, let's say it's going to Indonesia, before it reaches Indonesia, it has passed through the hands of probably three or four banks. And each of them have a fee of anywhere between $20 and $50, uh, U.S. equivalent. And there could be a time delay between when you, the originator, sends it and when, say, a vending company, let's say you were buying uh, cocoa or you were buying sugarcane or coffee, Java coffee from Indonesia. Between when the suppliers receive it, there's typically a three to five day delay uh, just with processing. So what some people have decided to do is to use blockchain technology and what we say is decentralize the process. So not use a large money center bank, literally transfer your U.S. dollars into Bitcoin, for example, and then send that Bitcoin on the secure blockchain Bitcoin network via wallet address to the recipient in Indonesia. That process, depending upon how much of it you send and how many people are needed to validate that transaction could occur in seconds or within 20 minutes. Wow. Versus and so, days and without yeah, the transaction versus, fees. Versus days and in some cases without the transaction fees. Now, the lowest transaction fee you can use on Bitcoin, sorry, that you can pay on Bitcoin is around 40 US dollars right now. So would you rather pay 40 US dollars and have a 20 minute transaction or would you rather pay 100 US dollars and have a transaction that lasts over three to five days? Absolutely. Wow. So it's the possibility of the technology is the reason why not only individuals from sure. a decentralization standpoint, but large uh, financial institutions are looking at it and finding ways to use it in specific use cases. Interesting. Well, and you 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 um, mentioned the next topic I had here, which is the whole token economy and the whole idea of bitcoins. So, talk about that aspect of this. I think for many people listening and and out, <laughs> I'm sure if you ask them to raise their hands and say, "Do you understand cryptocurrency and tokens?" Not everyone would raise their hands. Talk about that for us. Yeah. So, what I like to tell people is that. The token economy is really the next generation or the, the evolution of taking the technology behind cryptocurrencies and commercializing it. So cryptocurrencies in and of themselves are, I think, are, are wonderful democratizing forces in global finance. But it's the technology that underpins them that is the next generation, because whether you or I, the, regardless of our political philosophy, whether we're libertarians, Democrats, conservatives, Republicans, whatever you want to call us. At the end of the day, people tend to like, tend to want to have as great a financial control over their assets as possible. And so part of that, though, is also having security. And you receive security through the political regimes that we operate our financial system in. So I'm not sure, and I'm still very much, even though I'm, I'm in this industry, I'm not sure that Bitcoin will become the reserve currency of the future. It is highly possible that it could be an Amazon or an Alibaba token, as opposed to Bitcoin or, or Ethereum even. It's quite possible that the competitors to governments in the future will be the large multinational corporations and their balance sheets. So for an example, if I'm a citizen of, I'll just pick a country, of Iran, or Saudi Arabia, Indonesia, the Philippines, anywhere where traditionally there is some level of government instability, I might choose to store my wealth in Amazon tokens 
knowing because that I know that's that more Amazon secure. has a, a high credit a high credit rating as an institution. They have a large balance sheet as opposed to my own local country currency. Wow. That is so that's really the real competition here. Wow. And that, that's, that's fascinating. Yeah. I think that could, and you see some of these companies like an Amazon who's just exploding and could, could easily move into that space. Absolutely. If they wanted to, we basically what token technology does is if you think about it in the 19 early 1900s or the early 20th century, there used to be this phenomenon called oil towns. And in the oil town, the company would literally pay you an IOUs from the company's balance sheet. So everywhere you went, the general store, um, if you owned a car, if you went to the filling station back then, you would pay in your company IOUs. Oh, wow. So we're globalizing the old oil town economy. That's all That's blockchain technology does, the token economy. <laughs> wow. And I'm guessing not many of us have even knew that. Wow. It's really interesting. Well, and another interesting part of your business, I mean, linking all this together is you decided to pursue funding, not through an IPO or other, you know, I would say, uh, relevant slash well-known way of raising money, but you decided to do an initial coin offering, an ICO. So talk about that for us. Sure. So first, I'd like to just tell your audience, for those who don't know, I'm pretty sure you have a very savvy audience, but a coin or a token is simply a derivative of fractional share that's produced from the smart contract on the blockchain. And so what we decided to do is a lot of projects in late 2016, early 2017 said we wanted to fund their projects. They wanted to fund their projects by offering out coins and tokens that were in those that day, um, even though this is only last year, we call it that day because like, you <laughs> one year ago, spaces like <laughs> 10 years ago, wow. uh, it represented it, because there were, it wasn't a security from a financial standpoint. It really was a donation. A person would give 500 bucks and receive a share of tokens or coins that represented their $500. And that was in the hope of helping to build out this new blockchain or this new project. I thought about my years in finance, and I know that if you raise money from anyone other than your immediate friends and family in a collective way, then most jurisdictions around the world will argue that that is a security, that is a securitized offering. And so I decided with my company that we would file forms with the SEC at the beginning of this year to have what's called a Regulation A-plus approved coin offering. And a coin offering and an IPO offering from a technical standpoint and a practical standpoint aren't much different. It's just that the legal rights and rules surrounding them are slightly different. Wow, interesting. So, and then you don't receive uh, an equity share, but you receive a coin. coin. And that coin yeah. can represent equity or it could represent profit sharing or sure. it could represent um, just a security in that you are, as an investor, going to receive certain rights, but not necessarily ownership. So a coin offering or a token offering really allows the company to have a more flexible uh, cap table or balance sheet. Wow. Well, and so and that, that's so helpful. Um, and are, are you seeing more and more companies do that or head in that direction? Or is it so new still that you know many have not yet explored an ICO? Many have not yet explored an ICO. It's still a very uh, new and nascent novel way of coming to market. Uh, we're still in the process. I'll be very honest to tell you that the SEC has yet to approve a public offering of any company and via a coin or a token. Also, we did, in, our, in my case, we did have equity funding. We were issuing coins and tokens as well. It's just that traditionally an early stage company, before it ever really had a large IPO, 
or a coin offering, you're selling anywhere between 20 to 80% of the company to receive the financing necessary to come to market. Well, with a coin offering, you might only need to sell between 5 and 20% of the company in an equity offering if you choose to go that route. Uh, some of the original people who've pursued ICOs, and I've, I did this as well, we used our own personal money um, to launch the company. And then after doing that, and once you needed more funding, you conducted the ICO. Wow. So where are you now um, from a product perspective and customer perspective and, perspective, and then where are you heading in the next 12 months? Sure. Right now, we have been working exclusively on our demo and the first generation of business that we call the Beal Trust, which depending upon which legal jurisdiction I'm in on any given day, I can or cannot call a bank because there are very specific rules of, of using a bank uh, as in your name in your name or in your title. So we, just, we use the term a Beal Trust. And what a Beal Trust will do is store any digital asset and try our best to help our clients monetize that asset. So for example, I very much believe in a world where everything from social services records to defense department records, your medical records, your national ID, driver's license, and in addition to your Amazon tokens or Google tokens will need a home. And right now there's not really a home for these digital assets other than what I like to call your DIY or BYOB remedy. So be your own bank. And that it produces a security challenge for individuals and for institutions. Institutions don't yet want to exclusively deal in the digital space because of anti-money laundering and know your client rules. And then individuals are comfortable keeping a certain amount of their, their assets in a digital form, but it's not as secure. It doesn't come with the government backing of a bank. Well, that will slowly all change over time. And so my company just wants to participate in that formation of how we look at capital transformation rather. Yeah. Well, and you know, I, I know you, um, you've had lots of lessons learned along the way. We've talked, we talked briefly about that before the podcast, but share with our audience, you know, two or three big things that you would say are, are big takeaways for you thus far as you've launched this business and are growing this business. I'd say the biggest takeaway for me has been, um, the kiss method. I'll just keep it simple. <laughs> keep Sometimes, it simple even though it's blockchain it, cryptocurrency <laughs> yeah but, 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 but think about it i mean I, I met a gentleman and part of the reason why i wanted to build this this digital repository or custodian or bank whatever we can call it legally was that i met someone who lost a considerable amount of money not because he was he he lacked intelligence i think he just didn't think about a common sense perspective so for example i'm in his office i'm pitching him and he's like you know phil I think technically I've lost a hundred million dollars. Oh, okay. Wow. Well, that someone tells you you lost a hundred million dollars. That of course wakes you up early. Sure. You are jet lagged. <laughs> explain to me, how did you lose a hundred million dollars? You said, well, I had Bitcoin. I bought a lot of it in 2012 when it was worth less than a dollar. This was late 2017. And he, he explains that he downloaded onto a server. He replaced those servers and now he's looking for it. I'm like, well, how are you looking for it? He's like, well, I hired this forensic, um, IT forensic team to come in and look at the old servers. And I immediately just started laughing in his office. <laughs> He's like, well, why are you laughing? I'm right. like, how long have they been working? He's like, well, they've been here for the past three weeks. And I said to him, I said, think about this. If you hired someone off the street and told them to look for a button that you lost and you told them that that button was valuable and they could read the news and find out that that button was worth a considerable amount of money. 
So let me, you're paying them to look for something that's worth a lot of money. And you don't know if they found it after three weeks, but yet this is an IT forensic team, part of the best <laughs> of the best. I'm sorry, but of course they found it. And of course it's gone by now. And he looked at me because he hadn't thought through that, that one simple absolutely piece of security here. And so I, I told him, I said, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you might as well just stop paying them and move on. <laughs> wow. So I, That's I, a good I, say one. This, I say this just to, to tell your audience that we, we have to keep things simple. So although we're dealing with an emerging technology, we still have to think about the simple things of how do we secure this? How do we store this? And at the end of the day, part of the reason why the businesses that are in the blockchain space have a somewhat mixed reputation is because they forget about the end customer, customer service that still matters. Absolutely. No question. Um, that's the biggest lesson that I, I, I've learned and we talk about as a staff. Um, communication is still key no matter what business you're doing because the principles of blockchain actually come from Byzantine war theory. And how do you send messages to your troops, even though those troops are behind enemy lines? And so I like to always tie things to their, their, their beginning or their origin in history. And then the third thing is from a team perspective is going back to things that I learned when I was in the military or even a cadet at West Point. Leadership matters. Um, if people want to challenge the leader, then they better win because if not, they have to go. <laughs> so we, we've had some turnover on our team sure. because they're quite honestly, there are people who are far more brilliant than I am. But at the end of the day, there can only be one person who's setting the vision and the that's direction. for sure. And that's one of the, the things leader. I learned was yep. don't get sucked into the brain power of people who are necessarily smarter than you. I still have to be the, the moral compass and the, the leader who's driving us forward. That's a fascinating topic right there. I mean, and I know you were at, in, in awesome, amazing that you, you served in the military, um, went to West Point, right? Um, that's an interesting point. So I, I would normally, you know, close out the podcast here, but unpack that a little bit for me in terms of the, of having to have the vision and not getting hung up in someone else's uh, detailed technical, you know, maybe knowledge. So what I mean by that is any business has to make priorities in terms of how it deploys its its capital. What are your priorities? And so when you work with a group of highly intelligent people, or even in any group, everyone will always have their own individual priorities, but it is the collection of those priorities and the collection of that brain power and the deployment of your resources that ultimately determines your timelines and your schedule and where you're going as a business. And so I found that as we were forming the team necessary to build this, that there were some people that we had given titles to from a leadership perspective. And sure. they believe that their vision <laughs> of where they wanted to go should right. ultimately win. And wow. so when you're in a room Got with it. people with big egos and big right. brains, <laughs> right. sometimes they just want to argue things at nauseum. And so as a leader, you have to say, hey, I understand what you're saying. I think that's a great idea, but that's priority number three as opposed to priority number one. And that's, you, that's where you have to be the leader. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to have the conviction to do that. And I will, I'll be very honest and tell you, there were a period of a few months where I didn't do that. And I think that as a business, we saw the results of that and the extending of a few timelines, uh, but wow. we're still on, t on, on pace to issue a very robust, um, beyond MVP level of a deal trust by the end of the year to give people a sense of where the platform is moving to. But it, yeah, it took going through some of those internal conversations and then me finally looking people in the eyes and saying, 
I respect you. I respect your idea, but this is priority number one. Either you're with it or you're without us. Your choice. Absolutely. Wow. Fascinating. And I mean, what a great lesson, leadership lesson for those out there listening. And, you know, a lot of us put off some of those tough decisions, right? From a people perspective, because it may be difficult or hard or people you know well or whatnot. And sometimes, I mean, that's, I've heard that over and over. Regret is waiting too long to make a decision on people. And and you mentioned MVP for those that don't know, minimum viable product. So um, we'd see that towards the end of the year. And that's exciting. See, I violated rule number one. <laughs> I picked up one of your acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's hilarious. So, all right, Phil, last but not least, uh, share with our audience where they can find you, how they can connect with you and in your company. Well, thank you for that, Justin. You can always find uh, information about us at appealgroup.io. That's our company's website. We are on most of the socials. My team, we try to keep them updated. Um, so we're on Medium, Facebook, Telegram. I'm on WhatsApp personally. Uh, you can always find information about us on LinkedIn. We try to keep all of those social media um, venues up to date. We're actually probably going to hire someone soon. That that's their sole job. <laughs> uh, just because we find it very time consuming. I'm sure. I'm sure. And then we'll have some announcements coming out towards the end of the year about uh, account signup and people being able to open an account with the Beal Trust very early next year. So I'm looking forward to all of that. Well, this has been such a great conversation, Phil. And I, at first, thanks for coming on. And I can't wait to have you back on in the next six to eight months and check in on where you are and, and how things are going. And um, I just really appreciate you taking the time. No, thank you for the opportunity. And uh, thank you for to your audience for listening to all this, uh, as I like to say, mumbo jumbo. <laughs> no uh, way. <laughs> so you'll, you'll find more about us. We'll, we'll have more uh, press releases coming to market and things like that. So thank you so much for today. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck. You can download additional Contender Cast episodes directly via the Apple iTunes App Store, the Google Play Store, Spotify, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the Contender Cast, connect with us at contenderbrands.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender. Contender.